Hey, welcome to the Life Church Green Bay podcast. It's our mission to lead the way in bringing the life giving message of Jesus to the 920 and beyond. We are so glad that you're here. If this is your first time joining us, would you connect with us? We want to do life with you, and there are so many ways we can do that from wherever you are in the world. You can get connected with us and other Jesus people in one of our Facebook groups by joining us for an online service every Sunday or connecting with people through life groups and pocket churches. To learn how to get connected and find your pocket, please go to lifechurchgreenbay.com. Again, so glad you're here with us today. Here's this week's message. So when we left off, having left Priscilla in charge of the church at Ephesus, Paul went to Jerusalem for Passover. Didn't stay long. He only stayed long enough to come up with a plan for funding all these churches that were popping up. And he did that by convincing the church in Jerusalem to send regular offerings to those churches. So when Apollos went to Corinth, Paul returned to Ephesus. I want to talk about that today in a message we're calling The Purge. So when Paul got back to Ephesus, he he used his traditional method of teaching in the synagogue, but talking about Jesus. And for a period of a few months, the message again spread like fire. But by the spring of 53 AD, the synagogue started to fill with pagans who were hungry to hear the message. As their seats began to fill, as the space began to be overwhelmed by these pagans, the traditional Jews began to cause problems. So rather than wait for this whole thing to blow up again, or or rather than waiting for there to be some kind of conflict, Paul pulled all of his teaching and all of his converts from the synagogue. He determined that he would just go and teach in a neutral space. And when he made that determination, he was offered use of a space by one of his converts, a schoolmaster named Tyrannus. And Tyrannus' name actually means tyrant. It's a nickname that he received prior to his conversion. So you can imagine what his life was like before Paul led him to Jesus. So Paul, he begins holding services in in the city gymnasium. And the students, they'd use the gym during the cool morning hours. And then Paul would have access from 11 a.m., until 4 p.m., the most difficult, hottest part of the day. But during that time, all the shops in the city closed to escape the heat, which gave Paul access to everyone in the city. No one else had anywhere else to be. And so Paul made his his messages really practical. They focused deeply on how Jesus related to our everyday life, on, on how the message of Jesus should change how people behaved and how people treated each other. Again and again, he emphasized, pay close attention to your life, be careful about the way you live. He would continually tell them, you used to be in darkness, but since you've become the Lord's people, you're in the light. So you have to live your life like people who belong to the light. And Ephesus, It was an interesting place. It was a particularly literate city. People were very well studied and very well read. 
So as Paul would share the facts and the details about Jesus' life, his listeners would regularly write his words on scraps of papyrus. Not wanting to lose these teachings, rather than taking the time to rewrite them on a continuous scroll, as was common everywhere else in the world at that point, some of Paul's students began collecting each other's writings, and they gathered them in stacks, and they sewed them together on the edge. Thus, the Codex style, which would go on to become the universal style for books in the centuries to come, began in Ephesus as these Christian notebooks. And that that doesn't have really any spiritual connotation on your life right now. I just think it's super interesting to see the massive worldwide impact this little burgeoning church would have. And, and their style of data collection, it spread quickly because of the constant flow of people in and out of Ephesus. It was the center for business and it served as a spiritual pilgrimage of sorts with people coming to experience the temple of Artemis, which I said last week was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And it was the largest building in the Western part of the world at that time with its 117 columns that stood 60 feet tall and each weighed 15 tons. It was magnificent. So people came from all over Asia to worship under its roof and to purchase these little silver or terracotta replicas of the image of Artemis to watch over their homes. And it was during one of these spiritual pilgrimages that Paul met a wealthy landowner in the city to sell his wool named Philemon, to whom Paul would later write one of his epistles. And during their first meeting, Philemon, he's converted, he receives Jesus, and consequently takes the message of Jesus back to Colossae to start a church in his home there. And it's a church that would grow dramatically and to whom Paul would write another one of his epistles, the book of Colossians. And and out of that church, other churches sprang up in the cities of Laodicea, Smyrna, Pergamum, and Thyatira. And maybe you recognize those names. They're written in the book of Revelation. With, With Ephesus, these churches make up five of the seven churches that the Apostle John is told to send letters to. In other words, they're significant. And they started right here. And from each of those four churches, the message of Jesus spread to their surrounding areas. And and Luke would sum up this explosive expansion by saying, in the course of two years, all the people who lived in the province of Asia, both Jews and Gentiles, they heard the word of the Lord. But Ephesus, it kind of drugged behind. It was a tough sell. It wasn't an easy city to convert. It was filled with the practice of the occult and of sorcery and of witchcraft. In fact, in his play, The Comedy of Errors, Shakespeare said that Ephesus was filled with dark working sorcerers that changed the mind and soul killing witches that deformed the body. It was known around the empire for having students of the occult who boasted that they were in league with superhuman forces of darkness, which they referred to as cosmic principalities and powers, a claim that Paul would refer to when writing his letter to the Ephesian church when he said, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. 
and the occult and the practice of witchcraft and the practice of sorcery. They were woven into the fabric of the city so much that at the markets, magicians would sell these little strips of papyrus with spells written on them for people to wear next to their skin to cure aches and pains. And the more severe the sickness, the steeper the price. But word began to spread that Paul was curing these same aches and pains at the services that he was holding in the gymnasium, that extraordinary miracles were happening by his hand. But unlike the magicians, he wasn't doing it for profit. Since physical healing wasn't the focus of his ministry, but instead the spiritual healing that came from committing your life to Jesus, Paul remained steadfast in spending his mornings working with leather in his workshop and conducting services in the gymnasium in the afternoons. He, he wouldn't sell his healings. But those healings were happening as an offshoot, as a result of the message of Jesus and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And of course, those healings, they were drawing these huge crowds. And most of the people couldn't even get access to Paul by that point. But evidently, there were some who felt the need to have Paul personally lay hands on their loved ones who couldn't or wouldn't come to the gymnasium. So they came to a shop and they begged to have him come and lay hands on whoever it was that was sick. But Paul, he wouldn't be distracted. He was focused. He was Resolute, He was busy producing goods that he would sell to fund his mission of seeing people come to Jesus. Plus, he knew that the healing power of Jesus wasn't limited to his hands or his touch. He knew that many times Jesus simply sent word and people were healed. And that, that Jesus said, those who believe in me won't only do the things I'm doing, but even greater things. It was proven by the fact that just by having Peter's shadow fall on people, they were healed. So he told these people, since the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives in them, he is able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. But these ex-pagans, they had once wore spells next to their skin and they were looking for something to speak to their superstitions and to strengthen their weakened faith. And I wonder what you have in your life that's just there to speak to your superstitions. What card or carving or statue are you using to strengthen your weakened faith? So in an effort to ease their doubts, Paul reacts. He responds by taking off his sweatband and handing it to them. And they took it, they laid it on the patient, they prayed over him in the name of Jesus, and he was healed. And as this same method was repeated a few other times, the results were the same. So the news that men and women were really being healed and that evil spirits were really being driven out spread rapidly. Word began to spread that Paul's sweat rags and his handkerchiefs had a potency far beyond the spells scrolled across these pieces of papyrus. And word began to spread that the name of Jesus was the most powerful name of all, that it was in fact a name that is above every other name. 
But word had also spread throughout the empire that there was significant money to be made in Ephesus by healing people and by casting demons out of people's loved ones. So this group of Jews who traveled from town to town making a living claiming to be healers and exorcists, they made their way to the city. And their method, it was interesting. It it was to recite this whole list of names in their incantations to be sure that they were including the right deity. And so they would take the names of gods or the names of deities from different cities that they had been in, different regions they had been in, and they would add them to their incantations. And I'm sure that their intention when they got to Ephesus was to say, in the name of the goddess Artemis. But a man named Sceva, who who claimed to be a high priest, he came to town with his partners, his seven grown sons. And on his arrival, he decided they would add the Lord Jesus to their catalog of spells. And his sons, they went around pronouncing it over clients and customers. And uh, they had uh, nominal results. They, They didn't have a whole lot of pushback. I mean, nothing negative happened for a while. But then they entered the home of a legitimate demoniac, a man who was really demon-possessed. When they entered into his home, they stood around in a group and they solemnly said in chorus, I command you by the Jesus that Paul preaches. And some of our newer translations, like the New International Version or the New Living Translation, they will say that they finished their incantation. But when you go back to the oldest translations, they say, I command you by the Jesus that Paul preaches. And before they could even say, come out of this man, the patient interrupted with beady eyes and the distorted voice of a body gripped by devilish forces. He said, Jesus, I know. Paul, I am acquainted with. But who are you? And with that, he leapt upon them. He, he jumped on them, beat the mess out of them, tore the clothes off their backs, and threw them out of the house, naked and wounded. And the incident, it shook Ephesus. And all the Jews and Gentiles were filled with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was given greater honor. But it didn't only shake the city. It had a decisive effect on the young Christian church so much that many of the believers came and publicly confessed that after their conversion, they had continued dabbling in magic, that they hadn't broken clean. But in that moment, they decided to put an end to what they called their habits of darkness. And a number of those who had practiced magical arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and they found it came 50,000 pieces of silver. That's 50,000 days of labor. The New Living Translation says the value of the books was several million dollars. It was finally the purge that their spirits needed. And when I read that story, I wonder, what is it you're still dabbling in? What haven't you broken clean of? What are your habits of darkness? And to that point, what's it going to take to shock you into throwing those things out of your life? 
I mean, isn't a global pandemic enough? Isn't a global shutdown enough? Isn't the attack on everything that we believe enough to shock our system and tell us that we cannot live our lives with one foot in one side and one foot in the other any longer? I mean, it may not be witchcraft, but what you're involved in may be just as harmful to you and your family. Like I wonder, is it gluttony or lust, greed or laziness, anger or pride, revenge or unforgiveness? Whatever it is, what if you recognize those things? But more importantly, what if you removed them from your life? What if you had a great purge today? And I know it won't be easy. I know it's gonna cost you something up front. But in the end, the payoff, it's immeasurable. Not just in this life, but for eternity. And so what I wonder is, will you do that today? Will you break clean? Will you take one foot out of one side and one foot out of the other and go all in? I wonder, will you have the purge your spirit needs? Would you close your eyes? Friends, 25 years ago, I had a spiritual purge in the church we call it salvation. I was confronted with who I was. But more importantly, I was confronted with who I no longer wanted to be. That the life that I had lived to that point, it was meaningless, senseless, worthless. And maybe you're in that same position today. Maybe something was said during this talk that you don't even know what it was, but something in your spirit, it leapt. That's, that's called the Holy Spirit. And for me, was in an old dirty football locker room when a football coach read John 3:16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him will never perish but have everlasting life. I don't know what it was for you. But I know for me, I no longer could keep one foot in one side and one foot in the other. And so today we're going to give you the opportunity to change your life with the only thing and the only way that you can by receiving Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior by admitting that you're a sinner, asking him to change you, and then determining that you will go 180 and change your direction. And so if you wanna do that today, I'm gonna to say a few lines in a prayer. And if you repeat them after me, and the Bible says, if you mean it in your heart, you'll be changed, you'll be saved, you'll be rescued. So if that's you, will you say this after me? Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, but I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Come into my life. Make me different. Make me new. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, you have just begun a new life. Everything you've ever done in your life before this point has been forgiven. It has been forgotten, and you get the opportunity to hit the restart button you get the opportunity to go on a journey away from where you are toward where God wants you to be. And we want the opportunity to walk that journey with you. So if you'd help us help you, would you click on that button on your screen that says you're raising your hand to follow Jesus? And would you send us a message with your information? And we would love the opportunity to uh, get to know you more and uh, walk this journey out. But we're not done. I wonder if you're watching this and you say, Sean, I'm a Jesus guy or I'm a Jesus girl, but I'm like those people in the Ephesian church who 
who I believe, but I haven't gone all in. Whatever that thing is that you're holding on to, you say, Sean, I need a spiritual purge. And so if that's you, I want to pray for you. God, for my friends who are watching this, who have been holding back. God, it may even be just in one specific area. Whatever that is, God, God, root it out of us. Change us. Turn us into the people you want us to be. Purge us of all unrighteousness. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for joining us this week. Did you know we have discussion questions for each message? You can download them and talk it over with your friends and family. Go to lifechurchgreenbay.com to download today.